All right, you are listening to Addicts in Recovery. This is your three favorite hosts on Recovery Talk. I am Zach, and I am an addict. And I am Mike, and I'm an alcoholic. And I am Kevin, I'm an alcoholic. We are here to basically talk recovery. Yeah, that's our mission. Our goal is to spread that uh, positivity that you're not alone, that you can do this. There's hope out there for the addict and, and normies out there that there is a, a better side of this. Reach out. We have plenty of platforms that you can reach us on. Uh, Instamike knows what's up. Find us on Instagram, uh, Addicts in Recovery, A-I-R. We're going to be keeping you updated on all of our current episodes and positivity and thoughts and ideas and uh, updates on what we're doing. We also want to know what is your feedback? I mean, how do we sound? What do you want to hear or talk about? Um, do you have any questions or like any specific topics that would that you want to want us to talk about? Give us some subjects that you want to hear us talk about. Exactly. And then you can find us on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, literally any iTunes. iTunes, any anything. If it has a podcast, <laughs> we're on it now. You'll find us. Help, I need somebody. Help. Wow. We're talking about help this week. <laughs> so, how do you help somebody? That's a good question. Or be helped. Let's talk about it. All right. One of the things that I always that always pops up into my head when people talk about help is or when just the subject of help is is willingness. And the reason why I say that is because I worked with so many people in recovery that say, help me, help me, help me, help me. You know, my life sucks. Help me, help me get out of this. How, how do I get out of this? Whatever else, you know? And, and so I look at him and say, all right, well, this is what I did. And so this is what, you know, this is what worked for me. This is what works for other people. Here you go. Try this. And they go, but in that one word, but, but, uh, I mean, it's just an ugly word as is. There's a reason why we, you know, I mean, why don't you just yell ass really loud? <laughs> uh, because it, it just shuts the mind off. It totally, when, when I hear somebody say, but, then I, I know how open they actually are to help, to, to the help that is being given to them. And when they drop that but word, uh, you can tell like that's that's not they're not really wanting the help they're asking right and, and maybe they do want help but they're not go actually putting in the they're not willing to put in the effort to actually change because they still think that they are that person still thinks they know what is best and i've always found that very paradox not really paradoxical um kind of ironic because it just goes to show the level of kind of obliviousness people have to where they are. You know what I mean? Well, if you even look at just the word like, but I'm With not one a T. I'm not right. <laughs> one T. I typically you see it in a sentence, isn't it? Usually with a comma, like yeah. showing pause. Yeah. You but know? right, yeah, exactly. So just that alone is like a, you know, it's, it's showing kind of a pause of allowing something to kind of replace or to f- slow down or fill. And, and, and I think people really do 
I think it really goes back towards when people are kind of set in their ways and maybe they don't believe in themselves or they don't trust in themselves or, or in the process that it does work. You know, it, it takes a lot of convincing, you know, cause you could tell me something a thousand times and until I actually do it myself. And I had many of those, buts. I remember Abby and I, my wife and I, we were reading in her journal. Um, she, she was, cause a year ago from about now was the whole time when I went to rehab and, the first time she came and visited me, we had a therapy a session with Arthur, my therapist, and he said the first thing that he brought up was, you know, when you leave rehab, you want to do IOP, and it brought up this really, like, negative, like, this forceful thing to me, and I was seriously just like, well, no, but I, I'm going to be healed, but I, I don't want to do this. I don't want the extra help, and I think our you know, our self-pride definitely gets in the way. It got in my way, and it needed to be my way to actually convince myself that the pro- to trust the process and trust in the process. And um, Absolutely. I don't know. I People, pride is really powerful. You know, I think that it, it is such a, they call it the universal sin because it's destructive and it destroys people's lives when they can't, humble themselves you know i don't know hopefully i made some sort of how i thought it sounded great (laughs) how how do you humble yourself i got a good question good can i you sure go for it take the mic so when i was in high school take the mic mic i'd take the mic mic double mic so when i was in high school i asked my mom a question (laughs) and i asked her i asked her if i was humble I was I just was randomly I said, Hey mom, do you think I'm humble? And she said no. <laughs> and it caught me so off guard. <laughs> I was like, What? I am I am humble. I'm and humble, was, damn it. Yeah, she was like laughing about it. She's like, Oh no, no, honey, <laughs> you're you're not humble. And I was just like, Holy cow. And like it took me uh, I ended up going down, you know, to the Caribbean doing some service and living in some pretty harsh conditions. And the first time I was away from my parents, that was like a long time. And I called my mom on Christmas and I was gone for about seven months at that point. Mm -hmm. And she says that my whole tone changed where my focus of my communication was directed towards them, not me, centered in me, me, me it was centered in them of asking them questions of what they're up to. And she says that she saw this big change where my humility came in because I wasn't putting everything me first. And she says that was the first time she's seen me that way in a very long time. And it, and you know, we'll do that obviously when you living, when you're living out of a suitcase and mm. you're doing service and helping be build houses and stuff like that and torn up from tornadoes and not tornadoes, but hurricanes I think that can that really applies. I mean, not only just in like doing service, but people recognize uh, they gain humility from from hitting that low point, right? Or or even just being a part of a low point. Uh, people gain this. I guess I did. So I gained kind of this sense of I'm not in control. One of the um, one of the things that I used to tell myself all the time is, 
I can get myself out of anything that I put myself in. I can get myself out of anything that I put myself in. And so I would tell myself that all the time, especially when it came to using. Um, I would tell myself, I got into this mess. I can get myself out. Like Next weekend. I have a couple days off next weekend. I'm just going to stop using. And then, you know, they would go to next weekend and the next weekend and the next weekend. And it wasn't until I, I basically threw everything that I had away that I then got to that point of, okay, maybe I can't like get myself out, right? Maybe I actually have to uh, do... do <laughs> Mike is getting Quiet. attacked by his dog right now. Chocolate lab attacking. <laughs> <laughs> he, wants some, he wants some candy. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I need some assistance, right? And so I think that... that to me is really what happened is I had to hit this low spot before I could recognize that, all right, maybe I'm not as humble as I thought. And, uh, maybe I don't have as much power as I thought I did. But how, how, oops, dude, how, how, I know. struggling, bro. <laughs> but how long did it take you to like actually get yourself to that position? Like time frame wise? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I still don't, even when I got into that position, I still don't know if that was like, if I was mentally capable of being in that position. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to say, um, years, it took years, it took years of sticking a needle in my arm and it took years of destroying relationships and it took years of living this miserable lifestyle where the world had picked me up to shit on before I finally came to my senses after a, a very large God moment uh, that I was able to say, okay, help me. And even then it was like, okay, help me, but wait, right. help me this way. <laughs> Don't help me any other way. Help me this way. Yeah, that's, I think a lot of people that are in recovery can have some sort of <clears throat> story that they can relate to that. Cause I, I had a dream. I don't know if I've ever shared this with everyone, but I had a dream that I got myself to a position where I, in my dream, there was a, um, my wife was with somebody else and like, and my children were being raised by another like man figure. And it like, it was the most erotic. Oh, it was. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I'm like, Oh wow. Polygamy opposite, whatever opposite polygamy is. But, but, uh, it, really like damaged me in my sleep. Like I woke up and I thought to myself, you know, that is a, re- that is a reality. If I go down this road that I'm going on, like that is a, that is a reality. Like my wife did not sign up to be in this type of relationship with me, like an alcoholic husband. And those real moments like hit me, but it wasn't enough to like convince me like that's, that's enough power or change to do it. And it, <clears throat> took me a little, a little more coursing through myself to be able to get myself to want to have that uh, change moment and reaching out for help. But, but man, that was a very haunting dream. What it, what was the main, what was your main point where you were like, all right, I need help. What happened? So it, almost like exactly on a year ago from now, pretty much almost to the day, I got ridiculously drunk and I drove my kids down 
the canyon to come home. My wife was already at home, so it was like a 45-minute drive. And I got to myself, <clears throat> I got myself to a point where I was like, okay to, you know, I was still drunk, but at least know how to drive the car to get down the canyon pretty much to, in my drunk way. And I pulled into the house and I opened up the car and my wife just freaked out because the car smelled like alcohol. She could smell it all over the place and on me because I was drinking for like three days straight. And she just left. And that dream that I had was like full circle again because I she left the house. I was in my home and she had a full-on dinner ready made for all of us. And I was by myself in the home. And I thought to myself, this the dream is catching up. Like it, this is becoming more and more real. This is more visible. And I remember just sitting on my couch thinking like I need help, but I don't know exactly how to do it. And I kind of like self intervened and brought my dad in, my mom and kind of told him what needs to happen. My dad was very, un- didn't really understand the whole idea cause he, he's never really seen a ton of addiction in his life. And he was like, Oh, I could take you to an AA meeting. And, I was like, no, dad, this is a little further than that. This is like a little past that. This is like a little heavier than that. Yeah, I need some like assistance. assistance. So I decided to, you know, sign up to do a rehab. And I did it all by myself to find and relied on a few sober friends, one friend that went through the process. But that wasn't easy, though. I mean, I wish that it would have been earlier, but I'm actually really happy that like my wife was able to be. Um, as strong as she was, you know, that she was able to be a lot of, I think a lot of people, I can see it with a lot of my friends, wives and people that I run into with work and whatever that like, they're, they're just, they're, they're kind of stuck in that, like the old school husband wife relationship, you know, where like the man just provides and he does his thing and the wives just do what they, they just need to be the, the, the mom you know, clean up after the messes and stuff like that. My wife is definitely not that way. She's very much the opposite of like, this is, and I, and I love that part of, of her. Cause mm. it, it's like not a lot of women can actually put the foot down and say like, no, mm. I didn't sign up for this. This is not how we met. This is not what I want to do. <laughs> what about you, Kev? What, what was it that made you ask for help? Finally made you ask for help. You know, uh, in my circumstance, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I didn't ask for help. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, well, I, you know, I, I guess I had been asking and begging for help for years, actually, in my own way, but I never directly asked anybody for help. Um, I didn't, I didn't know there was help. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I didn't. <clears throat> um, I was pretty sure that I was just going to die <laughs> like a <laughs> blithering drunken alcoholic, you know. I didn't, I didn't know that there was a way out of it. Um I was approached by somebody that told me I needed help and offered a way out. And uh and A was my way. <clears throat> but I was thinking what we what you guys is uh um topic about you know becoming humble and um and I think you know when I heard that it, it took me a long time to actually get that 
Um, the, uh, if, if you're in a 12-step program, which is you know what I did, um, the entire process of a 12-step program is actually the, def, uh, the deflation of ego and becoming humble. And what that means basically to me is um, realizing that I am not the I'm not the center of my own universe. You know, um, the world doesn't revolve around me. Um, and and <clears throat> when you when you kind of when I realized that um, that left a lot of other people that mattered and knew more than me and um, kind of makes it makes it make sense to ask for help you know that there's a lot of people around me in the same predicament um, that know a lot more about the predicament than I do so the deflation of ego is learning how to recognize that it's intelligent to ask for help there's nothing wrong with it it's almost like the responsible thing to do I don't know if that makes any sense. No. But also there was like some confusion within me, and I think there's a confusion in a lot of people. Um, at the beginning, um, I didn't like the word humble because I thought it was the same thing as humiliation. And what I did feel was humiliated. And, uh, you know, uh, humble, the word humble and the word humiliate or humiliation are completely different. You know, they're not even like really related to each other. So I but even I, had to look it up in the dictionary just to figure it out. Yeah, but I, I feel like the, the level of hum, humiliation can, at least for me, brought me to a healthy... Oh, sure. It's a good tool. Yeah, it's a good, like it brought me to like a... Sec, like a, I felt humble. Like people were... I wasn't trying to prove something to anybody anymore. I was like, okay, here I am. This is what I did. This is where I'm going. And, you know, mm-hmm. you felt obviously humble about the situation. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah. And then I was also thinking about, you know, um, when the talk topic of help came up and like, you know, asking for help or, or knowing what to do when somebody asks you for help, um, kind of knowing, and, and I guess you, this comes from experience, but kind of being able to, to be able to identify the, um, the difference between maybe someone helping someone out in the way that they want you to help could be harmful to them and to you. Um, I know that after I had some, you know, decent time on me of sobriety, um, that I've had people ask me for help before and knowing when it's okay to say no. Um, I've asked, I've had people say, you know, like, I need money. I'm broke. I'm, I don't have a job right now. You know, I'm, I've, I've got, you know, five or six days clean and sober or 10 days sober. And, you know, they, they've asked me for a loan or, (laughs) um, uh, a place to live or, you know, and, you know, and, and I've been a sucker a couple of times. I I remember one time I, I gave a guy a phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he, he's like, Oh, I, I, I don't have, um, I'm a pretty soft guy, you know, like I try to help out in any way I can, but, um, he, he, you know, kept saying, you know, I can't find a job because I don't have a phone. And I'm like, well, I have a phone plan that like actually has another line that, you know, that kind of thing. So 
I think I ended up paying for that guy's phone plan for, you know, for quite a while. And I'm like, like six uh, months. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to like pay me for that? You know, and, and it, you know, it's, uh, it's not that I, you know, I, you know, I think I ended up getting, you know, ripped off like intentionally or anything, but he didn't really have the wherewithal or, um, you know, the, the, the steadiness of mind basically to, to understand that it mattered. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. I think there's like a fine line. Oh yeah, there know. is. Sure. You don't want to, what I've found out is, you know, maybe by helping someone the way that they've asked me to help is actually called enabling. Mm. And, um, you know, that's what I found out. I kind of ended up doing and, you know, maybe, you know, he didn't need the phone right now. You know, he could have hoofed it and knocked on <laughs> doors. You know, I, there is such a fine line most of the time, most sometimes it's a very broad line, and it's like, don't do that, <laughs> right? When you have a child or a spouse that is a raging drug addict or alcoholic, don't give them handfuls of cash, right? You'll probably not see that cash again. But there, or there is like a fine, car. yeah, exactly. There, there is a, a a pretty fine line between what is helping and what is enabling. Um, usually, and actually we had, when we had Cindy come on here, she actually said it, uh, usually when there is an, when, when the addict is upset with you means that you're holding a solid boundary. Uh, it's really hard to help someone when you're enabling them in the way that they want to be helped. Uh, because most people don't innately want actual help. They want whatever they can get out of you to get their own way. And it's not because they're fundamentally immoral. It's just because they're sick. Addicts, people, addicts suffering in addiction are sick people. And we just have to remember that there's not, you can't, you can't give them everything that they want because what's going to happen is you're going to end up causing a bigger problem. Um, you're basically fueling the fire. And so I think that, especially for people listening, like how, how do you not enable? It's Ooh. tough. You know, I, I had this friend uh, also, he, he would call, and he was in the throes of active addiction. As a matter of fact, he, he ended up ODing eventually. But he, um, he would call me all the time asking for money. Like, I, oh, I, need, I need money for gas in my car. Um, I need, I need money for, for cigarettes or I'm a smoker. So it's like, so, and I, you know, I kind of get it. (laughs) And, um, so like, uh, but I, I realized when I'd get, whenever I'd given money for gas, like the next time he would call, he would need gas money again. And I'm like, I just gave you money for gas. Like, how could you be out of gas? You didn't go anywhere, (laughs) you know? And, um, so he's like oil these days. Right. What's going on? Right. So what I what I ended up doing instead of enabling him is if he called and said, hey, I need money for gas, I'd say, okay, I'll come get your car and I'll take it to the gas station. I'll put gas in it. I have no problem with that. Oh, well, like, you know, and then he would get upset. <laughs> but, have a story. But, even, but even when, uh, don't you think that even if you did, so like, right, you meet him at the gas station and you fill his car up full of gas. Don't you think that's still enabling? Because it's still giving him money. Because whatever $20 he doesn't spend on gas, then he has to spend on booze. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could, you could look at it that way. But <laughs> I just, I was, I was told by, my, by 
that's that's the instructions I got from my sponsor. Mm. You know, Makes sense. If, if if he needs gas, you put in the gas. Don't don't give him cash. Well, it's like you know, so it, that that way he always made it to work. It's like my father-in-law. He he worked in downtown Salt Lake for years, and he'd always see you know homeless people that were trying to panhandle, you know, and he would just go to Wendy's and just buy like a hundred dollars worth of gift certificates, you know, just like you know five dollar mm. pieces of paper that had you know five dollar whatever, and he'd give them to people on the like on the homeless on the side of the road. And when his car was stopped, they'd come and knock on his window, and he'd like, "Here, here you go." And they, so many of them were just so ungrateful. They were just like, "Yeah, I don't. I, I kind of want some cash. <laughs> I can't buy booze with this. Yeah, no. Is this voucher redeemable at Wendy's the liquor does, store? <laughs> Wendy's does not sell beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine line, though. It really is. How how do you? And I and it's kind of the same. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the same, but it, I guess you should, you know, everybody's different Yeah, it and, is. and helping each person is different. And so it's hard to pin down exactly how to help someone because you never know the situation they're in or the, I guess the willingness that they have to change. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't willing to change, but they'll tell you all day. It's like what I was saying in the beginning of this. I, I, I want help. I want help. I want help. Okay, here's help. But I don't want that help. I want right. this help. You know, there's a there's another time, and Zach, you'll know this one too, is um, I invited somebody to stay in my motorhome because they were essentially homeless. And um, I mean, I, I had a like a big motor home just sitting out in my driveway and nobody was in it. And this guy was uh, being uh, kicked out of his apartment um, <clears throat> because of his drug and alcohol addiction and it had, you know, taken him to some pretty low levels. And uh, he was looking for a job and he was, he didn't want to sleep on a park bench. It was starting to get close. And I said, dude, like you can, you're more than welcome, like come stay in my motor home while you're looking for a job. And, um, you know, you know, you can just temporarily, you know, for a couple of weeks, like stay in there and, and until you work things out. And he's like, okay, great. Well, six months later, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, it wasn't actually that long, but it, it was, it, it was, months, it was a few months. And, um, and I was like, you know, dude, like, I, I need you to go. <laughs> it's all in their playing you know, Xbox. Like in, in all fairness, um, I, I, I hadn't been clean all that long either, but I was like intent to save the world from alcoholism and, you know, suffering from, from, uh, from addiction. So, you know, I, it, it, it takes time to learn when you're, when you're going to help somebody and when you're actually not going to help somebody, you know, and I certainly don't want to be that guy that when somebody asks for help, I just immediately say no. When someone like legitimately needs like, you know, a hand up. Not just a handout. I think everybody in early recovery, not everybody, but there's a, a vast majority of people get this, uh, what, is it, what did they say in the big book? Bleeding deacon mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. where it's just, I am here to save everyone mm-hmm. and everyone in the world I need to save. And I know that I went through that stage in my recovery, which isn't necessarily a bad 
a bad stage because it gives you, especially at that point in your recovery, it gives you a purpose, right? It, mm-hmm. it helps you see. It gives you a drive. Yeah, and it helps you see that alcoholism and addiction is huge. It runs rampant, and you see it in, I mean, anyone who anyone who says, I don't, you know, I, I've never suffered or felt any type of consequences from addiction is oblivious to it. Because everyone somewhere knows someone probably within their immediate connect within their immediate network that is struggling with addiction. Um, and that really opens your eyes to it. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I can save this person, right? Because I'm feeling better. I know the answer. I can save this person. There was one lady that I um she she was a <laughs> she was this damsel in distress. And I did not know what a damn like, you know, damsel in distress is um, like almost like a princess movie, right? Mm-hmm. But she would come into these meetings and she would s- just start talking about how crazy her life is. Her boyfriend beats her. She can't get a job. She's addicted to drugs because he got her addicted to the drugs. Um, she's miserable. She can't get a job. She can't keep a house, whatever else. And And so I remember when that happened and I looked at her and I thought you know, I know a guy, we could probably plant drugs in the boyfriend's, like, car and just get the boy, boyfriend, like, thrown in jail. Yeah, <laughs> I actually, I, I, that literally crossed my mind. So I, I talked with her, and I got some people together, and we went out of our way to get her to a women's retreat place. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you planted drugs in his car. No, we didn't find drugs. <laughs> okay. I wanted to. I'll stop gaping. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's, Josh, Kevin's jaw like, I just wanna, hit the floor. <laughs> I want to know more. Uh, I want to know more. Anyway, no, I did not plant any drugs in anybody's car. Or did I? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I. so we get her to this women's shelter, basically, out of the evil boyfriend's you know, grasps. And we all leave thinking, uh, I, at least I did. I thought, man, you know, this is this was a job well done. This was a this. I did something right today. And I'm not shitting you. Like two days later, she's back in the boyfriend's apartment because just because someone asked for help and just because they have a shitty life does not mean that they actually want the help. Nine out of ten times, it's attention. That's all people want is attention. And people in early recovery get so wrapped up into that, man, that um, sometimes they'll throw their own recoveries away just to try and save somebody else, which is it's just absurd, but it's what we do, right? Because we have this purpose. And, and so growing in, in recovery involves learning when to help someone and when not to help someone. Um, and how to see who is serious and who is not serious. Because when I would get, somebody would walk in their first AA meeting ever and I'd be like, I'm going to save this motherfucker's life, right? <laughs> like, I've lost my job, I lost my wife, I lost my family, lost my kids. You know, same, like, everybody walks into AA and says that. Uh, and then you think, man, I'm going to get this guy's life back together. I'm going to show him all this shit, la da 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 and then you never see him again, like ever. <laughs> right. And you you learn that like those people, there's always going to be somebody that comes in and asks for help. But the ones that are the ones that I go for, the people that I I put more effort in, are the ones that have 
consistently been showing up. They've been consistently doing something, and it's not necessarily they're asking for help. They're just there to feel better. They want to. They want to get better. And right now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, those are the ones that I. I will. F- I will show up and and be much more. I mean, of course, if somebody asks me for advice or if somebody asks me for, I mean, any type of, I guess, word of wisdom, I, I'll tell, I'll talk to anyone. Um, but the people that I actually invest my time in are the people that have invested their time in themselves already. And that was something that I had to learn through that process of helping people. Right, that well, makes a lot of sense. But the people that are striving, it shows their level like tying back into humility it's showing that they're striving they're they're not better than the system they're not trying to fool the system they're they're showing time and time again that you know that they are ultimately trying to become better they want that change you know exactly and i agree with you because like i've seen it with you know with my my aunt who um, died when she was 60 from a meth overdose and she started doing drugs when she was 14 Everyone thought she was gonna, you know, die a lot sooner than she really did. That sixty was kind of a milestone. Run, yeah, right. (laughs) The only time that she was really clean and everyone felt safe was when she was in jail and stuff. She spent a lot of time there, and everyone was really kind of blown away. Were times where she would reach out for help, but you could tell she was doing it selfishly, and you could see the people that would fall for it too. My mom fell for it plenty of times and she was probably the last person out of the family that really kind of stuck by her when she came out of jail the last time and I remember my mom called me and she said hey can you come help you know move your aunt into this apartment she's got some state assistance help her move in I remember I was so pissed I was like I'm done with this like I've got my own life I've got to do my own thing and she's like well it's too heavy the stuff that she has can you just help me and I remember we moved her in and she sat on the bed and she was looking around at her kitchen and she was like talking about the different bedrooms that she wanted to have her kids come back and everything I thought to myself your youngest child is like 23 like your your children are gone <laughs> like you <laughs> missed probably not coming back yeah you've missed well, this like super heartbreaking it really was and like I remember like sitting in the kitchen and looking at her and she's like yeah we can have like christmas in here we can do this and i remember my mom and i we laughed and like i felt good i was pissed at the time but i felt good doing it but i had like even that one little thing that one time going and doing that i started to kind of buy into it of like you know what she can change she can do this and we walked out my mom just gave me this big hug and we both just started like crying like just like such a sad situation that She's wanted to have her children there. And then, you know, three days later, she was arrested again. Mm. But there was like this like little hope. And, you know, my, I, I always loved that f- part of it that my mom, she really never gave up on that. And she generally tried to give her her space and do it, not just overdoing it where she was like, here's this, this, and you know, let's go take you shopping and just provide her all this stuff. It was, she, the, the, the last kind of phase of it was like, I'll help you. I'm here for you to talk, but I'm not going to do it for you. And I think that's where people get caught up in it, where it's easy, especially when your family, you're related. You just want to, you really want them to snap out of you. You want to like seriously shake them by the shoulders and slap them across the face and be like, snap out of it. Right. You know, there was a guy too that, um, 
that I used to take to uh, AA meetings because I think it's it's in in it's important at least in my recovery is to um, you know offer a helping hand like when when it comes to small things uh, like giving people rides especially if I'm already going to a meeting um, <clears throat> but there is instances where um, we we were talking about where it becomes unhealthy and and not only does it become unhealthy for them but it comes becomes unhealthy for me. Um, he would ask me for for a ride. He'd say, you know, hey, are you going to an AA meeting tonight? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And can I get a ride? Okay. But every single time I picked him up, he was drunk out of his mind. And I'd say, okay, well, I, I can I can take you to a meeting. That's that's fine. But uh, you know, like it, I, they appreciate that if you don't talk um, while you're inebriated, you know. It, and um, but you're very welcome to attend. So we did that uh, a few times. I, I happened to work with this guy, and um, he'd be at work and he'd be, you know, sober at the moment, um, or at least you know not drinking anything at the moment. And then uh, after after work, I'd go and pick him up, and he'd be drunk. Like I'm like, how did you even get drunk? Like within, you know, like it's been like <laughs> that, twenty that minutes. Really quick. Yeah, and. Um, and after a certain amount of time of doing that, it kind of started to wear on me a little bit. Like, um, you know, I, I kind of started to feel like, well, you know, maybe I could just like have a beer with this guy and it would be okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not healthy. Um, being, you know, being around and uh, an, uh, for me, being in recovery, um, <clears throat> you know, I've even asked people about this before because. I can be around people who are drinking and they're not in any kind of a recovery, like a 12-step or a, some other kind of recovery program. Um, I, can't, I can't be around someone in recovery that's actively using. It, it, it really affects me. Um, I start thinking things like, well, you know, how come they can use and I can't? You know, which is completely crazy, you know? And... Um, and then that starts to undermine my own recovery. So um, it, it, it took, and this guy was a friend of mine, and it, it really took a bit of restraint to say, you know, after, after going to several meetings and picking up and, t and, and taking him there drunk to be able to say, okay, now I, I've shown you where the meetings are and what times they're at, you know? So, um, you know, if you want help, you can... You know where to go. It's like you're leading him to the water. Exactly. You know, and um, and then I didn't have to go in the same vehicle with him, drunk. You know, so. You know, I need to make sure by helping someone else that it's, it's it's not damaging myself. I don't want to help somebody, at, you know, my own expense, of my own recovery. I got what I got out of those two stories is people sometimes confuse not strategically not involving themselves in an addict's life in comparison to giving up on a person. Uh, one of the things that I probably one of the most regretful things that I ever did when, in my active use was I had a friend who, who was really bad. I mean, I thought I was bad. This guy was really bad. This guy was the, this guy was the guy that like, I know that I'm bad, but at least I'm not 
that bad, mm, you know? That and then, bad. and I could rationalize all of my using because I wasn't that bad. But this guy would constantly, uh, for years, he would constantly come up to me and, or we'd, we'd get together and I would watch him. And even though I was using like, you'd, even if I was in active addiction or anyone in active addiction or anyone period, you could just see him spiraling just down. I mean, just, it was like a plane had blown its engines and I mean, you can hear it, you know, heading down to hit the ground. And so, but every time I'd see him and I'd see him get this messed up and, and I would call him out on it. He started calling me dad. Right. And, but he kept coming back. So like we get into these fights and then he'd stop talking to me for a couple months and then he'd come back and then, it, and, and it would just keep happening. It was like, almost like a puppy come back with his tail between their legs. And finally, I remember him looking at me, or I remember one day he, he, I invited him to my new apartment with, I had a new job, a new roommate, everything. Everything was working out really good. My, uh, at least at that point in time, I was still getting high, of course. Uh, but I, I told him, because he, he asked for help again, and he's already burned me shit a dozen times before that, two dozen times before that. And I said, this is your last chance. I'm done getting burned by you. And so, of course, the second that he gets to my house, uh, he does, I, I laid down like three ground rules and he broke all three of them within an hour. <laughs> okay. Just zero regard to giving a, a fuck. I mean, it, it, he was so self-centered and so sick at that time that I kicked him out and I remember him coming back back or texting me and this is probably two or three months later he texts me and he just says hey what's up man and I said oh are you suffering from a case of euphoric recall (laughs) uh which if nobody knows what euphoric recall is it's just basically you're having you know are you suffering from a case of great memories that we had and the next day he overdoses and dies this is the last thing I said to him was suffering from a case of euphoric recall Ooh. Damn. And I was the I was the only person that he would keep coming back to because I was the only person that he knew gave a fuck about him. But at that point in time, I had finally given up. And I can't necessarily blame myself because I was as sick as he was. Um, and I was as selfish as he was. But what I can what it taught me is just because people are hard doesn't mean that I have to give up on them. Uh, I have I have friends who are consistently consistently destroying their lives. I mean, I'm only 27. There's a lot of people my age that are still destroying their lives and will continue to destroy their lives. But that doesn't make them hopeless, right? It just means that when they find their time to be ready uh, or willing, I guess, to accept help, I can be there to give it to them. But until that point in time, I have to just... I kind of just let them do their thing. That doesn't mean I'm giving up on them. That doesn't mean I'm blocking them from my phone. That doesn't mean I'm not talking to them. Right. It just means I am a, I am setting a healthy boundary. Right. I'm, I'm keeping myself uh, disengaged. Well, it's it's showing it's showing that you're there ultimately as a, you know, as a human being. And caring for a person and being able to be there to listen, you know, and and I feel like that's such a huge part of it you're not forcing it onto somebody but you're there and they know that 
And I feel like that's such a healthy situation. Like I told you guys already that happened today. You know, I have a coworker um, that works for us and, and he called me today cause he was having a really rough day and it was in a sticky situation. He says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and it was after work hours and he says, I'm, you know, having a rough time with my personal life and, and you can, and I can kind of sense stuff was kind of going on, you know? And he just said, I'm the first person on this list to call. And I answered and it felt good to be able to not be a, a know-it-all and saying, well, look, dude, this is what you need to do. But to, and it's, and it's hard for people just to stop and just like listen and let them talk and ask a few questions to kind of almost like a river, let them come, come around how it, how it's going to, cause you, you can't force them to do it. And I feel like that's such a hard thing, especially in situations like that. Cause you want to just, you want you just get mad, you know, you want to just like lay down and be like, dude, you know, better, you know, look at what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see that even harder. I can't imagine like with a child situation, it's already hard enough raising little kids, but I can't imagine that situation where you can see them destroying their life, mm. you know? And I, I saw it. I saw it with my, with my aunt. Like I said, the story earlier, my grandpa was really before, he, you know, he passed away before her and never gave up on her, on her and saw horrible stuff that she, she did. And, and, and he was always there to listen and trying to provide a little bit of food or shelter, but there was times where he had to cut it off and set up his boundary and saying, you're, you're taking too much from me now. You're absorbing mm. my time and he, this isn't helpful. You're just becoming a nuisance. You're, you're ruining me and you. Mm. And I, I honestly have a strong fear of that with my own kids. It's it, the whole enabling aspect of if you're helping too much or not, it's so hard. It's so hard to find that that fine line, and I'm not excited for that, to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> I think you're gonna do fine. Yeah, we've no. seen you. We've seen you in action. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I've seen you with your kids. You're amazing. Know. They were fighting over a game tonight, and I had to settle the score. Mousetrap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've I found that probably just you know through my experience of helping others, um, or trying to be of help. Um, probably one of the biggest things I can do for somebody is be available. Just be available. You know, I remember, um, I remember getting sober and being so scared because it had came, it had come to the, the, my realization that I was so in debt. Um, I, it was overwhelming. Uh, it, it, I was, I literally felt like I was going to suffocate, um, from the amount of money that I had borrowed and, um, uh, just wasted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> what I, what I really felt like I needed was like about a hundred thousand dollar loan <laughs> would make it <laughs> would make my alcoholism go away and would make you know it would make the entire world a better place. Um, but you know, as as I as I sobered up and my mind started to clear, m- most of my money problems turned out to be um, 
it just they, they it cleared itself up. You know, I don't know how. I remember someone reading me the promises, and they're like these promises given and given away in um, in the big book. You know what I'm talking about? And one of them says, um, "The fear of economic insecurity will leave us." And I remember I remember hearing that, but what I heard was. Um, economic security will leave us and I and, and I swear I that's all I heard for like a month and I looked for a check in the mailbox you know <laughs> for, for like I was just like you know like I'm gonna get you know like I'm gonna be like rewarded publisher's clearinghouse all yeah, of a sudden I, I win $50,000 like, yeah the lottery I'm just for like, life you know, when is this gonna get better and the um but you know, like eventually, uh, um, my economic uh, uh, kind of I became a little bit more stable. You know, like things got paid mostly because I wasn't drinking all of my money, and I actually had some money to pay some bills. And um, I uh, and then this one guy, he was talking. He said, "You know," he said, "the the, the it says the fear of economic." Uh, insecurity will leave us not economic security will leave us and i was like oh my god it does say that <laughs> <laughs> but you know but i mean somebody like viewed it exactly the same way i did you know and 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 uh but the funny part about it was is i was like yeah i they're right because i don't fear you know feel as fearful you know so when so now when someone's complaining to me um or you know they're they're talking about you know oh I'm so I'm debt and I just need some money and blah blah blah, you know what I can do is be available to um, to hey you know let's talk about it you know let's let's see if we can look at this in a different way, you yeah. know, just being able to just be there, be an ear, just be there. Mm-hmm. All right, so to kind of wrap this up full swing, what do you guys have on parting words of helpfulness? Don't all speak at once. I know. Though. I had like, <laughs> while Kevin was talking, I had something that went through my head and I was like trying to remember it just like right when you said that. You'll remember it as soon as we go off air. I know. You got to go first then, Kevin. You know, um, I would say as far as being helpful, I my suggestion would be um, be cautious, um, but be generous at the same time. Be generous with suggestions. I don't usually offer people advice, you know, because what, to me, advice is um, telling them what to do, um, where I've found out I can, what, 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 what works best is, is to give a suggestion. Like, I, I, I can give you the suggestion, this is what worked for me, you know? If, 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 if I give someone advice, if I tell them what to do and it fails, then I take I, I kind of tend to take a little bit of personal responsibility for that. Um, and if I don't know what I'm talking about, if they're if if they're asking me questions that I truly don't know, um, I don't try to you know make up or give some kind of false hope. I'll simply say, you know what, I know a person that has been through this. You know, uh. and try to hook them up that way. 
rather than giving them some kind of like a false suggestion that, you know, false hope or something like to that effect. And um, just to be available, you know, and if something goes wrong in their life, if you have the ability or you feel like that you need to say um, no to somebody, uh, you know, whether they're asking for loans or a place to live or, you know, if, 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 if someone asks you for a place to live and you have children and you don't feel like that's a safe environment to be bringing an active alcoholic or someone who's new into recovery into your home and you say no and they go out and die, that's a possibility. But you didn't put them in the situation that they're in. Mm. You know, so take, you know, there's, there's a, a million things happening in someone's life, you know, and you're just one little, um, uh, you know, you just have one view of it, which is your own. And it's very easily uh, to, to take some blame onto yourself. And, um, you, you know, I found that in my own recovery, I, I, I need to be really careful of that. Um, I've known, I've been in the, um, in the program long enough to, to realize that <clears throat> we're very sick people. And a lot of people in this recovery program, they go out and they die. You know, for me, um, AA was literally the last house on the block. You know, um, I had gone through all the other houses and AA is what, what worked for me. And so, um, but it's, it's, it's not going to like work for everybody, you know? So if I have to say no and somebody goes out and they die, um, it's not my fault, you know? And, um, and just keep that in mind. So help others be generous with your help, but be cautious at the same time and make sure that you're taking care of yourself first. So good shit. All right. I remembered he brought, he brought it back to light. So thank you. Um, so I have a small little story. So when I was, uh, had to spend a weekend in a psych ward, I was really kind of crying for help. I wanted people to talk to, but I obviously it's a psych ward. They don't let people in and I could have two visitors um, while I was there. And during one of the days I invited two of my best friends to come in there. And one of my friends is kind of a quiet guy. The other one's more of a talker, more of a, an answer solution person. And all I really wanted to do when I was there is I just wanted to talk to them. I wanted to express how I was feeling and like my situation. My one friend was really sympathetic and listening to me, but my one friend, and like I love him to death. I've known him for years, and if he, I'm sure he's going to hear this, but he knows exactly what he did because I've already told him about this. But he was just this like know-it-all of, Mike, pull out the pen and paper. Step one, number one, here's what you need to do. Number two, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And like just on and on and on. I seriously wanted to like just tell him like get the fuck out of here, you know? <laughs> like I'm locked in this like a psych ward where I'm wearing a blanket and I'm eating top ramen and they have to watch me eat it. And they have to take the, sp- <laughs> they have to take the spoon away because <laughs> they think I'm going to kill myself with a spoon. And um, they check on me every 15 minutes while I'm sleeping to make sure I'm breathing, you know? That's the situation I was in, and it sucked. And I would all I wanted to do was to, you know, to talk and tell them 
my story and, and me and what they can do to help me. And the funny part was, is when I left and I got out of there a couple of days later, my one quiet friend, he called me up, dude. And he was just like, can I come over? I just want to talk. I want you, I want to, you know, I can tell you we're not very happy with what our other friend said. Cause he was just sitting there just telling all the solutions. And he's like, and I was telling him that when we left, he's like, dude, you were like an asshole in there. Like you just like have the answers, but like, you don't have all the answers. You don't have your shit. Your life is like perfect. You know, I think he did more harm and not necessarily saying he really did more harm. I mean, I can, it, I definitely took some small stuff he took for, out of it, but I guess my advice is in, in that situation is like, nobody likes somebody who is a know-it-all and I don't, I don't think uh, anybody really likes being around that type of a situation and in having someone that's kind of the one upper and especially when you're asking, you're pleading for help in a situation because, you know, uh, you, people need to be there for each other. Nobody needs to know it all. So I, I think that's my, my advice tonight just to kind of cautiously watch yourself when you're, you're talking to people and, and being able to listen Sure. It's certainly okay to say, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I'd have to say be quick, be quick to be there um, and be slow to throw out solutions because solutions are, there's so many fucking solutions. Um, so I would say be quick to be there and, and never give up. Never give up on someone. Someone could burn you a thousand times, right? The doesn't mean you give up on them. You can step back and protect yourself, which is what you should do. But never, never give up on somebody who's struggling because you never know. Either A, they turn the corner and they bring themselves back up, or B, you never know when it's the last time you talk to them, right? And so I think that's just... The I think for me that's the send home is never give up on someone. So yeah, great, cool. Yeah. All right, we are out of here. We will catch you next week. See ya.